Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Scripture together, we stand just to posture our hearts in faith. So, why don't we read together and then we'll preach? Galatians 5, verse 1 says this It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cuts in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works with a whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you'll take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Welcome to church. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you too will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Nor the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Father, this evening as we come to your word, as we've already just encountered you in in incredible ways, Father, I thank you tonight, as, as, as Mark mentioned, tonight would be a game changer for us. I thank you, God, whether we've been following you for many years or if tonight is our first time at church, I pray that lives would encounter you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Now sanctify us by your truth. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. It's good to be in church together. Really exciting. When I was about 19 years old, a whole bunch of us in Durban, we were living there, and a whole bunch of boys got together, some of the lads, the mates, and we said, let's, let's take a weekend together, let's, let's plan a weekend, and let's go away up to the berg, it'll be legend, wait for it, dairy. It'll be amazing. This was the time where How I Met Your Mother was a big series in those days, as you can note there. We were loving, uh, loving what this was about, all the friends getting together, so excited, just guys going away, and you can imagine the admin skills were at an all-time low. We took a lot of bra meat and a lot of cool drink, and did I mention a lot of bra meat? That is what we took. So evening meals were great, breakfast not so much. But when we got there, we pitched our tents. We were so excited. This was going to be an amazing time. And as we got there, it started to rain. Bucket and bucket up in the berg there. And the, the little river that uh, meandered way through the campsite started becoming a raging torrent. It started to pour as, as the, the rain came down. The rain came down. But we were not to be dissuaded. We were excited at the prime of our lives. So we played touch rugby in the rain. I took off my shirt in dramatic fashion. 
I put it back on because everyone said, please. We played frisbee in the rain. We played cricket in the rain. It was amazing. Just a lot of fun. We, we, we brought our meters under a little, under little shelter. And it was just a fun night. Until we slept all the night through the rain. The rain just kept pouring, kept pouring. We woke up in the morning. And after a whole night in the rain, we realized this is not a whole lot of fun. So we said, boys, we're going we're gonna to call it quits. So we started packing up in the rain. Some of the guys, as we packed the cars, they said, we're going to go into get, have a shower and just get freshly dressed. And I was like, you know what? I'm wet already. I'll stay in the baggies. Let's jump in the car. Let's just get home. You know when you've had enough? You're just like, I want to get home. This camping thing is just not my vibe. Let's go home. So we're in the car. We're leaving. And we're going past it. We, as we're driving out to the campsite, the, we, we realized as we go past the, the, the raging river, a mother ran up to the side of the road. This is a true story. I know some of you think my life is like a Hollywood movie. I know. But this is a true story. She ran up and she flagged the car down and said, my boy, my boy is stuck in the middle of the river. Can somebody help me? And everyone looks around at each other, freshly gelled hair, dry clothes, and said, Gabe, you're wearing baggies. You're on. And I said, here I am. Send me, Lord. I'm wearing baggies. And uh, I leapt out of the car, not because I was a good swimmer, but just based on the fact that I was wearing baggies. I ran down the, the, the bank and the, the, ran with the ladies, and I got to the edge of the river, and I saw her little boy clinging to the rock in the middle, with t- crying tears. Somehow he'd got to the middle, and the, the water was pulling him. He was, just, he was holding on for dear life. And I started to sing to myself, I can be your hero, baby. See, I'm, let me do this. I've got this. And I started to wade into the river in my baggies. It was like watching a, a baby giraffe trying to make some progress because the river was strong. And, and as we started to press across, and I started to realize it was a lot stronger than I first anticipated as I started to push across this river. And uh, as I went, all my friends watching on the bank actually are waiting for the epic fail or with their phones out. This is going to be great. Good friends, eh? Whatever happens to the boy... We're watching Gabe. This is going to be fun. But I managed to make my way across. It's just making sure I stand on the right rock that doesn't get go weak under my foot and, and I slip and get washed away. I, I wanted to get across. And as I got across the little lad, I said, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And he says, do you always have such a high-pitched voice? I said, no, no, this, this, is, this is normal. It's a little bit nervous. And, uh, but I got him and I managed to, to get him on to, uh, pick him up and we started to make our way across and the, the water pushing us and we just had to resist with everything we had to get across. And eventually I, I clambered back onto the banks and I was hoping for some cheers, some rewards, or I don't know. She gave her son a hiding and uh, she just said thank you in a very terse way. And that was it, you know. Being a hero is not what it cracked up, to, what it used to be, you know. It's, it's tough. But we got back in the car and my friends who thanked me said, you get to sit in the boots all the way home because you're wet now. Well done. Tough life, eh? I tell that stupid story this evening for two reasons. Number one, to tell you that I'm quite a big deal in the Berg. But secondly, to introduce you to my sermon title this morning, uh, this evening, as, as, as I preached to you. The sermon this evening is entitled, Resist the Drift. If you're taking notes, you would rather want to write that one down. Resist the Drift. You see, what Paul is doing in this text, I'm going to link it up with that story now, is Paul, in the, all, all the way through the Galatians, He's trying to remind these people, a people who, who have who've started well, a people who've grabbed hold of Jesus, but are on the precipice of shipwrecking their faith. Because a group of people have come and Judaizers have come and they've started to say, actually, Jesus is a good start, but there's something else. We want to add extra things, add some, some circumcision, add some festivals, add some Jewish customs to your walk of faith, and add a little bit more. But Paul is saying, actually, the whole way through the book, he's saying, you have to resist the drift. There's a pull in, in, in religion. There's a pull in humanity. There's a pull in every human's heart to pull us away from our one true love of Jesus alone. And it will attack you day in and day out. And Paul preaches this gospel to us saying, actually, it's Jesus plus nothing. 
And all the way through, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, he's been using every theological uh, story in his armory to get to us to the point that Jesus alone is the only way we can get saved and stay saved. It's Jesus alone that will get us the blessing, the favor of God. It's Jesus alone. And we get to chapter 5. This, this moment, and Mark Metz preached on it last night, but we're pushing ourselves a little bit further into it to this evening, where this hinge verse happens. This moment, the whole book is, it can be based on this one verse. It's like the summary where it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be yoked any longer by the yoke of slavery. Do not go back to it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Basically, in uh, my translation of the Bible, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Resist the drift. There's a pull in our spirit. That, that there's a pull in humanity that wants us to drift away from the love of Jesus. And I pray this evening as I preach these three points from this text that our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged this evening to resist the drift. Are you okay for that? You up for that Sunday night? Everyone all right? Why don't you say to the person next to you, resist the drift. And say to the person, I wish you wouldn't spit in my face like that. Three points that I said very simply this evening from this one verse that will lead us into the rest of the text. Three points. I read chapter, chapter 5 verse 1 backwards. Here's point number 1. It's going to be on the screen behind me. In order to resist the drift, you have to stand firm. Stand firm. You see, we are in a war. I want you to be under no illusions this evening. As you've heard a young man get up and say, for 13 years I've battled depression. Can I tell you, this is no walk in the park, this thing of faith. If somebody, if you one day, some preachers told you, hey, come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. Rainbows and butterflies, it's going to be easy. You were sold a lie. Or am I walking a different faith than you? I find it hard following Jesus. I do. I'll be honest with you. I find it difficult because my soul is wicked. My heart is wicked and it tends to drift from the calling of God. That's why I need a man named Paul to write a book to Galatians that I'm going to read to put fire in my soul. To remind me to resist the drift. You see, what Paul's been doing, if you read the whole book of Galatians, he's been using very aggressive language. Paul is not some light and fluffy TBN preacher telling you that you can do it. No, no offense to any TBN preachers. I'm just saying. Paul is on a whole nother level. He'll never be invited to your conference because Paul gets up and he says this. He says in chapter 3, who has bewitched you? You fools. Really good, good preaching this. No, you fools, imagine. And then he gets to the pinnacle where in chapter 5 he says to him, I wish those agitators would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, I've said some pretty like borderline things from the pulpit before, but I've never said that. So, you know, if I ever say anything dodgy, I say, just, hey, let me tell you what Paul says. I'm not that bad. You know, Paul is, Paul is angry, not at the Galatians, but angry at the people who would try and, who slipped in and tried to steal their freedom, who've tried to pull them away and drift them away from the high calling of Jesus Christ. Try to pull them away for, from real freedom. Paul is using that. So somebody once said that when Paul came to town, Paul would preach and there would either be a riot or a revival. People would actually either throw him out and want to kill him or they would turn and repent and be saved dramatically. Often when I preach, we break and we have coffee at the end. You know, it's a little bit different. Paul is on a whole nother level here when he preaches. And I want to tell you, Paul is preaching this. Why? Because he knew the condition of humankind's heart. He knew his own heart. I tell you tonight, I know my heart, and I'm pretty certain I know your heart, because actually we are prone to forget, we are prone to slip. If you want to look at Galatians chapter 5, how many times Paul uses the word remember? Why? Because we forget a lot. He uses the word stand firm. Why? Because we slip and we drift a lot. 
Paul is going after these things in our hearts. There's a, 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 a great uh, hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. They say this, this verse, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. No true words in a hymn, I, I tell you, because I sing that and, and I wish it wasn't true, but my heart is prone to wonder. Maybe I'm the only one here tonight. But I believe there's some others here who know this to be true as well. And here's a, a quote that you can really write down. This is going to be go down well. Men in skinny jeans should not do the splits. Some tr- truth right there. No, Paul didn't write that. I read in a Chinese cracker once. But it's, let me tell you, men in skinny jeans should never do the splits. What do I mean by that? As Paul is getting at, he's preaching in a different way in Galatians. He's saying, actually, you've come to Jesus. He's like, I love Jesus. But I'm going to just try and keep a little bit of my efforts on the side that are going to add to this. I'm going to, just a little bit. Hey, I love you, Jesus. But just a little bit of this on this side of legalism. Of I'm just going to do some circuses and I'm just going to become a little bit more Jewish. I'm just going to put a little bit more sway just to hedge my bets with my efforts. I'm going to say this plus this will equal, yeah, Jesus is good, but I'm going to just keep doing this just in case so I can stay in Jesus' good books. He's saying, actually, when you do this, you're going to drift. It's not going to be too long before this whole thing goes this way. He's saying on the same breath, he says on the other side, if you say, I love Jesus, I love him. But you know what? That means I'm free. I can do what I want. And we just say, but I'm just going to entertain sin and just, you know, it's okay if I do that. I'm just going to add a little bit of sin and licentiousness to my life. On this side, he says, it's not too long before you'll drift and go the whole way. Paul is saying, men in skinny jeans should not do the splits. Just saying. I want to tell you, we were not meant to live this dichotomous life. We are meant to be people obsessed with one thing. And Paul is going at this thing hardcore. I want to tell you so much because actually when we stay in legalism, when we put a little bit of legalism and just add just even a little bit, we think a little bit. Do you know what it does? It produces two things. Hypocrisy, because we... We just we can't actually even keep up with it, so we just pretend we're doing well. But it also produces anxiety because we're going, actually, have I reached the standard that God needs? Am I ever good enough? Legalism only ever produces hypocrisy and anxiety, so much so that once somebody said that the Dutch pastors, when they arrived in Germany, they were so shocked to see the Germans drinking that the cigars nearly fell out their mouths. You see what hypocrisy does? And legalism does. It says, my sin is not as bad as your sin. So we start judging other people's sin and say, you know what? I'm actually okay because I'm not as bad as them. I don't do that. <laughs> At least. You see, that's what actually happens. And, and this is the problem for us. Because if we pick up the Bible, and if someone tonight we walked here for the first time, and you only read Galatians 5 verse 3, you would be... It'll be understandable if you had the assumption. You said, okay, just on that verse, I think I get what Paul's saying. He's saying that Jesus will be happy with me if I'm not circumcised. That's what it says. It says, actually, if you get circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. So that's logical to think that. But Paul is not on an anti-circumcision or pro-not-circumcision journey. He's not trying to get, he's not on a thing trying to say, oh, you know, there's some health benefits to it. No, he's not doing any of that. Paul is saying, actually, the reason why you're getting circumcised is pointing to the fact that you think that being circumcised will make you more holy than others. And will get you more benefits. He's not against that because he goes on later on and he says in that verse that we read, he says, For in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. Circumcision, non-circumcision, it matters nothing. He's after one thing and he's going after it hard this evening. You see, the problem for me is this. I love Jesus. I'm just confessing to you, I really love Jesus. I'm a man who, if I sit in the quiet and I'm honest with myself, 
even at the low moments, I go, I love Jesus. I'm convinced that Jesus is my everything. Here's the problem for my wicked heart, is that I, my, my salary comes when I, because I preach about Jesus. And I love doing that. I love it. The problem is when I preach and I tell people I love Jesus and you've got to love Jesus and we, we try and teach, take people towards Jesus, afterwards people will come up to me and I love it's, it's a kind, I understand the kindness. They'll come and say, you preached so well. You love Jesus amazingly. You're phenomenal, Gabe. Here's the problem. My wicked heart goes, I am. I do love Jesus really well. I'm not, no, this is the problem because our hearts drift and very quickly I go home and I go, one thing settles in, either pride I'm doing so well. I'm such a great Christian. I'm preaching so well. Or I go, God forbid they ever really know the true me. Because I go, oh my goodness, I, sometimes I'm not that perfect at home. Sometimes I lose my temper. Quiet in that front row, please. And then what happens is then I go, I actually got to cover up that. And next week I've got to have to get a great sermon. So they don't really know the true me because I want them to still love me and still like me. See, it's a wicked heart that we've got. We always are prone to drift. Even with good things, Paul's trying to remind us that actually we take good things, like coming to church, like praying, like tithing, like serving, and they can become an ultimate thing that leads us away from Jesus if we're not resisting the drift. This is good preaching. I'm convincing myself here. I'm like, this is good. Can I take notes? You see, what? that's why I have to preach the gospel to myself. I have to preach the gospel to myself daily because my wicked heart, there's only one cure for that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, if you hear and you say the gospel is something, actually I just, I heard the gospel and I got saved. I put up my hand once, I prayed a prayer. Putting up your prayer doesn't save you. Saying a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. Those are just activators of faith. But actually your faith is not, I put in my hand once, I'm okay. No, it's actually, do you cling to Jesus for everything? He's our salvation. He's the one. And actually, the gospel is not just there to save us. It's to sustain us every day. This is the fullness of what God is trying to put in us. Paul goes on in other texts. He uses, instead of stand firm, he uses the word cling to, fix your heart, set your mind, fix your eyes. In, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, God the deposit. God the deposit. Set a perpetual watch over it. I just want to pray this evening that we'll start to understand. Stand firm because our hearts drift how do we do a second point this evening stand firm how as we're working that verse backwards christ has set you free here's the good news that we've been laboring throughout this series there's a there's a great hymn amazing grace you may be familiar with it if you've attended a wedding or funeral it's what it's a perennial favorite but there's a great verse that i love in there it says this it says i once was lost but now i'm found I once was blind, but now I see. See, the problem is, I think a lot of us, myself included, live with this understanding every now and again. I say, but one day when, then I'll be happier. One day when, then I'll be free. One day when, I'll find more joy. Maybe you've said some of these things. One day when I've got my act together. One day when I recover from my bad relationship. One day when my baby sleeps better through the night. That's just my one, sorry. That one in there. Maybe one day when I quit that habit, one day when the person who betrayed me asked for forgiveness. Can I tell you what the gospel says? The gospel inserts this word, but now. There's a but now reality. A moment comes, it marks a game changer moment where actually you can be living in a future realm, but Jesus is actually right now. I want to intervene in a story and say, God, Christ has set you free. That's past tense. 
I'm no English scholar, but that is past tense. Christ has set you free. If you are somebody who's a slow learner, underline has. It's been done. So, so good. This because they actually all the way through the Bible, I flipped through it. Once from this moment forward, when Jesus has set me free, I am no longer addressed as a sinner or a servant in the Gospels. I'm addressed as a son. I'm a son who sometimes sins. I'm also a son who needs to serve, but actually my title is I'm a son. That's who I am because he has set me free. And we've said it again and again. You didn't find Jesus. I found Jesus. No, he found you, sir, ma'am. He did the work completely. It's a top-down gospel from heaven to earth. He didn't say earth to heaven, earth, try and get to me. He said, I'm coming for you. This is the good news of the gospel, and here's even greater. He didn't just come to get the job started, like kick-started. Good luck, guys. I'll see you in heaven. I got them going, Father. They'll be okay. No, no. Jesus started his work by saying this. It is finished. The beginning of his self-saving work was him saying it's done. Christ is our story. Too many people are thinking that his finished work is unfinished. If it's not finished to you, his finished work not settled, you're never going to get on with what he's actually called you to. You're always going to be wrestling with insecurities because settled in your heart, it is finished, and then you're going to be able to walk in what he's called us to do. Here is the good news of the gospel. Every religion says this, die for your God. Every form of, of, of religion, wherever you look at it, says die for your God. Christianity is the only one that says he died for you. This is a top-down thing. This is beautiful. We've got to get obsessed with this. We've said it again and again in the series, just emphasizing, reworking it, massaging into our hearts, because we need to hear it again and again, is we work from freedom, not for freedom. Probably should write that down. It's a good one to remember. Work from freedom, not work for freedom. Because every other religion says work for reward, work for blessing, work for favor. Jesus says work from my strength. Jesus says work from my provision, work from my grace, work from my joy, my righteousness. This is the understanding we have to understand that we have been set free from things. Mark labored this last week. We've been set free. We've been freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from sin, the power and the penalty of it. We've been freedom from the obligations of the law, freedom from the wrath of God. This is what he's done. He set us free. Here's a quick one for free. If you want to stop sinning, anyone? This one for free. Anyone want to stop sinning? How do you do it? Tim Keller says this, believe the gospel. It's a shocker, eh? Because this is the understanding for me, is that we actually have to believe that Christ has set us free. Underline it. Believe it till you start living it. Because here's the understanding. We take it's very easy for us to go, actually, I I believed in Jesus. I'm going to go spend eternity with him. That's not a big leap for most of us. But it's a big leap to think, he set me free, he came and gave his life for me, so now I can get free from sin. Actually, how are you going to overcome sin? The same way you're going to get eternity with him, believe Jesus. Believe that he set you free. Paul's laboring this thing because the Judaizers come in and they say, hey, we are saved by faith. Paul says, no, saved by faith alone. That's not semantics, that is huge. We're not just saved by faith, we're saved by faith alone, alone alone, alone. There's nothing else that can, you can add or take away from that statement to give you any more credence or, or, or affirm, affirmation in the gospel. Faith alone. This is huge for you and I. And I love this because when we get this, we stop drifting from sin to promising I'm not going to do it again, to failing and going back into sin and depression, to promising I'm going to try harder, to drifting back into sin, promising... 
The drift will kick in if we always are holding on to our strength. But to resist the drift, we have to understand this. When we get this, we stop begging for permission and start walking in authority. Servants, sinners beg for permission. God, please help me. God, please, please. I'm going to try hard. God, if I do these things, will you please? Sons, say, actually, Christ has set me free. I can walk in authority. I have authority over this sin. I've got this authority over this attitude. I've got authority over my emotions. I've got authority of how I walk my life because Christ has set me free. Third and final point this evening, stand firm. Christ has set you free in order to resist the drift. The whole purpose, we have to understand this, and this is a massive thing where we're going to be pushing in for the next couple of weeks, is this whole reason. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. For freedom. There's a whole purpose here. We've got to understand, my, my cousin struggled with this for years because when he said, if I come to Jesus, doesn't mean he's going to ask me to give up a whole lot. And he saw God as a killjoy. I want to tell you, God is not a killjoy and nor is he a headmaster because if he's a killjoy, then I see him as a killjoy. He's asking so much of me, I'm just going to rebel. I can't do it anyway. If he's a headmaster, we're going to think I've got to toe the line and try and keep him pleased. And then if I don't, he's going to give me a hiding. Can I tell you, the scripture again and again reminds us that he's not a killjoy. He's not a headmaster. He's a father. He's a father. Jesus came to reveal the father. The only time Jesus was angry in the scriptures was to the Pharisees who were distorting the image of his father. He says, I came to show, make the, show the way to a father, not to a headmaster, not to a killjoy, a father who has made a covenant with us, a covenant not of ifs and buts, but a covenant of promises. And here's the truth for you and I. If, if in your story, you get to choose. Do you, are you going to make the promises to God? I'm going to try harder. I promise God. But if you make the promise, then you have to keep it. But here's the thing. We believe in a, in a, in a, in a Jesus who has made promises to us. He says, I am more than enough for you. When you're weak, I am strong. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you understand, he makes the promises. Guess who has to keep them? He does. The pressure's off. Who's making the promises in your life? You or God? You've got to have to choose this evening. For this story, as we move on, I want to tell you, understanding for us, this understanding is not not just a freedom from, but it's a freedom to. It's, we've been freed to something. And I, and I got this understanding. Years ago, I went to the Congo on a mission trip. And I got there, and there was this massive statue in the center of the square of Joseph Kabila, their liberator in the Congo, celebrating, arms lifted high, holding two broken chains, one in the sand, one in the sand. And as I saw that, I realized something as I started to read as well. I realized the state of the, why the African economy struggles to find traction is because in every country out of colonialism there's become a liberator who set the people free bah, breaks the chains of of colonialism say independence and everyone's like yes and he says we're free from independence but there's never a plan to what they're free to do next so what's the you put uh, liberate you put that person into power that like, we don't really know an economic plan we don't know how to walk free from this and actually it's not a blight on african economies this is a blight on hu- a human heart because I'm the same, and I think many of us are like that. We're going, yes, we've said we're free by Jesus. We sing it, arms lifted, but we don't know how to walk free. We're holding the chains broken above our head for 13 years. Holding out the chains, going, I'm free. The prison doors are open, but we're staying in the prison. I'm free. Free from, but we don't know what we're free to. 
And this is the understanding for you and I this evening, is that when Jesus comes into our life, he starts to put new affections, new desires in us. And this is the whole thing. He says, actually, it's not just about saying no. He starts to free us to start saying yes. And here's my whole thesis. Everything I could have summed up in one line and we would have been home much earlier. But this is it. To resist the drift, you have to embrace the chase. Let me say it again. To resist the drift, you have to embrace the chase. What do I mean by that? Is this thing of Christianity and and Jesus Christ is not just about you and I saying no, 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 no. Blinkers on. It's got to say no, no to alcohol, no to drugs, no to this, no to lying, no to lust, no to, no to anger, no, I've just got to, I've just got to keep my eyes focused. No, 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 no. You know what that produces? Lemon sucking Christians. You know what that is? When you take it, you see Christians like this, I'm blessed brother. So full of the joy of the Lord. There's no joy in this sort of no, no, no Christianity. There's no life in just saying no, because actually, imagine if I live my relationship with Fiona, my wife like that. Fee. You know I love you. Do you know how I know? You know. She goes, how do you know? I said no to three girls today. Yeah. I I didn't even look at them. No. I said no. Get behind me, temptress. (laughs) Jezebel spirit. Get out. Oh, here. No, I said to Fee, you know I love you because I say no. Can I tell you that's that's not going to go too far with her. Yes, I say no to other girls, but the way Fee knows me is because I pursue her. Because I say yes to her. Because I want to know what she loves. I want to fall in love with her. Not because I've said no to other people, but because I've said yes to her. It's a great point because actually that's how we are with Jesus. We're not saying, actually, I'm going with Jesus. I'm saying no to sin, no to... Paul's saying, actually, Jesus is dealing with us because the objects of our affection, the objects of our heart, the desire, the, affair, the, the energy we put in, he's not putting energy into us so we can live our life just saying no. He's put this desire in our heart so we can say yes to him. The pursuit, the pearl of great price. Because when you say yes to Jesus, when you embrace the chase of pursuing the one who's always been pursuing you, the no's become easy. When I'm in love with Fiona, when I'm falling in love with her and, we are, and I'm pursuing her, can I tell you, you can throw anyone at me. She's the one I love. But when I let my heart drift in that relationship, very quickly you'll start to notice other people. It happens in relationships, it happens with Jesus. Too often people, we're focused on other things, religious things or licentious things. We're doing the splits and what will happen is the drift will come very quickly. So, man, to resist the drift, you have to embrace the chase because this is the understanding for you and I as I bring this into land is that God is after our joy. He's after our joy. He's our, he's wants to flood our being with the most insatiable joy. This understanding is not after our happiness, what I mean by this, maybe this is semantics, but happiness is circumstantial. The Lions won last week. The Lions lost yesterday. Liverpool will win next week. They'll probably lose the next week. Work's going well. Work's not going well. The boss is happy with me. The boss is not happy with me. The baby's doing well. The baby's not doing well. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is at a high, much higher plane. At something that's beyond the circumstances that go like this and this. Actually, there's one who's constant, the God who's after our joy. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. It calls us to his joy. He's after our joy. Actually, so much so, he's the God of pleasure and joy. Pleasure is forevermore his right hand. And I want to tell you, Jesus has the market covered when it comes to freedom. When it comes to true freedom, joy, Jesus has the market covered. You can come with any other pseudo-savior, pseudo-satisfaction. I want to tell you, all those things, all they do is pursue guilt and shame. Those things, you go after them the next morning, oh, I'm not going to be feeling too good, or they're going to produce anxiety. I want to tell you, the greatest hangover pill 
that will sort your soul out from the night before is understanding the grace of Jesus. The greatest satisfaction is understanding Jesus will sustain you, it will lift you, but it will call you to walk into more and more holiness. The no's become easy when you learn to start saying yes to him. True freedom is only walked in when we lean into soul-satisfying friendship and intimacy with Jesus. Freedom to pursue and be pursued by the king who left his throne. This evening, I want to pray for us, land this meeting, trust that God's going to do a game-changing shift in our hearts. The word has come, and the Bible tells us when the word comes, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith has come. Obedience needs to follow as we say, I'm going to step into this, step into the river, resist the drift by embracing the chase.